Are you looking for a word from God today? If so, First Baptist Dallas is glad to present this dynamic message by Dr. Robert Jeffers. Dr. Jeffers is a premier Bible teacher, pastor, and author whose practical applications of God's truth help guide and encourage those who seek to know and follow the Lord Jesus. I know you'll be blessed. And now, the message by Dr. Robert Jeffers. For the first 10 years I was here as pastor, I drove the same car. And as the years wore on, my car started to wear out. It showed the age very quickly. It broke down in some inopportune places. I knew I was in trouble when the insurance company said, we refuse to insure your car any longer. But I was holding on until one day I was walking to my car with our then deacon chairman, And he said, Pastor, he was trying to be diplomatic. He said, Pastor, I know you think you're scoring some points with the congregation for being so frugal and driving that car. Trust me, you're not gaining anything. (laughs) He said, our members are embarrassed that you drive a car like that. You need to get a new car. And so I finally broke down and went to the dealer and bought a new car and I handed my check to them. But the most amazing thing happened. They not only gave me the keys to my new car, they gave me a thick book filled with rules about how I was to drive my car. In fact, I jotted down, you're not gonna believe this, jotted down some of these. Page seven, the manufacturer said, don't text and drive. Now, who in the world are they to tell me how to communicate? Don't they know about the First Amendment? I can communicate any way I want, when I want. Or page 15, I couldn't believe this. Never remove the coolant reservoir cap while the engine is running. No explanation of why not to do that. They just expect me to obey and take it by faith. And this took the cake. Always drive and ride with your seat back upright. Seat back upright, don't they know how uncomfortable and unnatural that is? And if they didn't want me to recline, why did they make it where it would recline? That's my car. I bought it. I can do anything I want to with it. Now, obviously, the manufacturer came up with those rules, not for their benefit. They don't get anything from it. They did it for my benefit. They're the ones who designed the car. They understand even better than I how it best operates. And they want me to enjoy my car to the fullest. Now, I know it's a silly illustration. But the fact is, God has created. He's manufactured each of us. He's designed us. And he knows under which circumstances and how we operate best. God is not some cosmic killjoy who's trying to stamp out any vestige of enjoyment in life. God made us. He wants to enjoy us to enjoy life now, in the here and now, and in the hereafter as well. And that's why he's given us his owner's manual. We call it the Bible. In this book is everything you need to live life as God intended you to live it, both now and forever. And as we look at God's Word, the most basic list of requirements that God gives us for a fulfilled life, 
The most basic rules are the Ten Commandments. And today we're going to begin looking at these commandments that I think we need to relook again like never before. Now, before we begin our study on the Ten Commandments, I don't want you to open your Bible and certainly don't use your iPhone to Google. Um, let me ask you, how many of the Ten Commandments could you name right off the bat? How many? Did you know a USA Today survey showed that 60% of Americans could not name even five of the commandments? Only 14% could name all of them. I think we're suffering the fallout of that. You know, for, up until the last 60 years, it was generally accepted in our country that the Ten Commandments were basic moral laws that everyone should follow. We had the Ten Commandments tacked up in a schoolroom. We had them in our courthouses. There's a vestige of the Ten Commandments on the Supreme Court building. But about 60 years, these geniuses, I use the word <laughs> sarcastically, came up with the idea that we don't need God to be good. We can be good apart from God. And there began this wholesale effort to separate our, our nation from its Christian foundation, certainly represented by the Ten Commandments. And the climax of that effort to separate our country from our Christian foundation occurred in 1980 in the Supreme Court case of Stone versus Graham. The court case had to deal with displays of the Ten Commandments that had been posted in Kentucky schools. They weren't taught, they were simply posted in the Kentucky schools. And the Supreme Court determined that that was unconstitutional, that it violated the so-called separation of church and state. How did they come up with that reasoning? Let me read you what the Supreme Court said. If the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it will be to induce the school children to read, meditate upon, perhaps to venerate and obey the commandments, this is not a permissible state objective under the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. <laughs> Can you believe that? We can't post the Ten Commandments because if we do, the children might actually read them. And if they read the commandments, God forbid, they might obey them. And if they obey them, that is not permissible under the First Amendment of the Constitution. I don't think it's coincidence that 17 years after that ruling, December the 1st, 1997, in another Kentucky school, a group of students gathered together before school to pray. A 14-year-old who had obtained a handgun went up to those students at Heath High School in Paducah, Kentucky, and he opened fire on those 12 praying students, killing three, seriously wounding five. And it all happened in a schoolroom where 17 years earlier, the Supreme Court said, you cannot post the words, thou shalt not kill. Hosea 4, 6, God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. We are reaping the consequence 
of forgetting God's most basic laws. The increasing number of school children, uh, shootings, the gender confusion among boys and girls, the drug addictions, the immorality, these things are not accidental. You cannot ignore the laws of God without terrible consequences. And that's why today, in a culture where, as Isaiah 5 says, we call good evil and evil good, it is time for a fresh look at the Ten Commandments. And that's what we're doing beginning today. Today, we're starting this series I'm calling The Ten how to live and love in a world that has lost its way. If you have your Bibles, you can now turn to Exodus chapter 20. And before we begin looking at these commands, let me just give you the historical setting for these commands. You remember that Israel had lived under Egyptian bondage for 430 years, and finally God raised up the great liberator Moses who would lead the Exodus out of uh, Egypt and into the promised land. And you remember after Pharaoh initially said, let them go, he had a change of heart and he started chasing after them. They came to the Red Sea and God miraculously parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel and consumed the Egyptian soldiers. Once they were on the other side, they were getting ready to go to the promised land, but they stopped at Mount Sinai. And Moses went to the top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Why? To receive the law that would be the constitution for this new nation of Israel in the promised land. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments, as we'll see, but it was all of the law. That's why it took 40 days and 40 nights. And you remember that as they came to Kadesh Barnea, the entry point into the promised land, they refused to believe God. God sentenced them to 40 years of wandering around in a circle in the desert. 40 years later, Moses, now an old man, stood on top of Mount Nebo, and he repeated the law that God had given. And we find that in Deuteronomy. Deutero meaning second. Nomos meaning law. It was a second reading of the law. The point is that there are two lists of the Ten Commandments. The original list found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17, and then 40 years later, the second reading of the law, Deuteronomy 5, verses 6 through 21. Now, as Moses stood up on Mount Nebo as an old man, he recounted how this law was given to him originally on top of Mount Sinai. In Deuteronomy 5.22, Moses said, these words the Lord spoke to all of your assembly at the mountain from the midst of the fire, of the cloud and of the thick gloom with a great voice, underline that, God spoke to Moses with a great voice and he added no more. He wrote them, underline wrote, he wrote them on the two tablets of stone and gave them to me, Moses said. Remember the movie, The Ten Commandments, how Charlton Heston, Moses went up to Mount Sinai and God spoke out the commands, but he wrote them with his own finger. You know, some people have the idea that the only part of God's word that is inspired by God are the words God audibly spoke. And somehow when you reduce them to writing, uh, that is 
inferior to the spoken word of God and that there had to be all kind of errors in the scripture because man wrote it down. No, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. That word scripture is the Greek word graphe, which means writing. It's not just the audible words of God and Jesus that are inspired, the written word of scripture, the Old and the New Testament, every word is inspired, literally, theos noustos, it is God breathed. The words God spoke were inspired. Listen to what the Lord specified is the blessing to those who live by the words of the Ten Commandments. Oh, that they may have such a heart in them, Deuteronomy 5.29, that they would fear me and keep all of my commandments always, that it may be well with them and their sons forever. Moses confirmed that blessing in verse 33 when he said, you shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. Now, this was a specific promise to Israel as they went into this new country and they formed a new nation. God said, if you will keep these words, you will enjoy as a nation peace, justice, and morality. And there is a promise for us as well. I'll say it several times in this message, we are not Israel. America is not the new Israel. But there is a blessing to any nation and any individual that keeps these commands. God will bless them. You will never make it to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. But you will have a much better life here on earth if you do. That is the promise that God is making. Now, what is the purpose of this law. You know, all of this talk about the law, the law, obeying God's law, it's probably raising the question in your mind, pastor, I thought you've said that the Old Testament is old. It's an old covenant. It's not operational today. That's true. But that doesn't mean the law is evil, that it's bad. Uh, yes, it's true that Paul said in Romans 6, 15, we're not under the law, but we're under grace. Jesus said in John 1, 17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. But the same apostle Paul said in Romans 7, 12, the law is holy. 1 Timothy 1, 8, Paul said the law is good if one uses the law lawfully. Let me illustrate what Paul is saying there. How many of you have ever used a jug of Drano before? You know Drano, it's a great product. Is Drano good or bad? Well, it depends how you use it. It's good if you use it to unclog your sink. If you use it to take care of your indigestion, it's bad. You see, Drano is only good as one uses it rightly for the right purpose. And it's the same way with the law of God. The law is good for its purpose. But remember, even though the law is good, it's limited in what it could do. Let me show you what I mean. I want you to write down these three statements on your outline. What was the purpose of the law? The law was given to maintain order, not to transform our heart. The law was given to maintain order, not to transform our heart. Remember, after the flood... 
God had destroyed the world through the flood because of the violence that was in the world. Did you know that was the primary reason for the flood? It wasn't immorality. It wasn't even idolatry. It was violence. Genesis 6, 11, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence, people killing people. And God said, it's time to obliterate the world and start over again. So he created the ark. Noah and his family were on the ark for over a year. It was 40 days and 40 nights of rain, but they were on there for over a year. And when they finally came out, God basically gave mankind a do-over. And he said, we're gonna begin again. But in this new world, there has to be order. And Genesis 9 represents the forming of government, a way to keep order in society. Genesis 9, 6 says, here is the first rule. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. He's not talking, God's not talking about vengeance. You go out and kill somebody for doing something wrong. He's talking about there needs to be an objective third party that enforces this law. Whoever kills another person, he shall be killed. As an example, this is the institution of capital punishment, <clears throat> which is still in effect today. And it should be. It's part of God's way of maintaining order in society, of keeping society within the guardrails of morality. In Romans 13, Paul expressed that. He said in Romans 13, 4, for government is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For government does not bear the sword, that is, had the ability to take a life for nothing. For government is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on those who practice evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection to government, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Here's the point. The law is good. It has some value. The law may keep you from killing somebody. The fear of being executed yourself may keep you from killing somebody, but it can never keep you from wanting to kill somebody. Uh, speed limit sign, 70 miles per hour. That may keep you from pressing too hard on the accelerator, but it won't keep you from wanting to do that. It can Maintain order, but it can't transform the heart. That's what Paul is saying. Secondly, the law was given to reveal our unrighteousness, not to make us righteous. The only thing the law can do is show us how unholy we really are. That's what James had in mind when he said in James 1:23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word, but not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and then gone his way, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. A mirror is useful. It can show you that your face is dirty, but guess what? It's not gonna reach for a bar of soap and a wash rag and wash your face for you. It can only reveal how unclean you are. If the law could make us righteous, then we'd have no need for Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said in Galatians 2.21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If the law can make us holy, why do we need Jesus? 
It can't make us righteous. Only Christ can. And the third limitation of the law was this. The law was given to lead us to our Savior, not to replace our Savior. In Colossians 3, 24 and 25, Paul writes, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we no longer are under a tutor. Now, when we think of a tutor, we think of somebody we pay to help our kid out who's flunking algebra. We think of that as a tutor. That's not what the word means here. It means attendant or slave. In Paul's culture, uh, a slave would escort a child to the teacher. The teacher did the teaching. The tutor was only the leader who accompanied the child and led him to the teacher. That's what the law is. The law leads us to Jesus, but it could never replace Jesus. Again, the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Now, when we talk about the law, what exactly are we talking about? This is key to understanding these Ten Commandments. Remember, I said when Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, he got all of the law. Everything you find in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it all was given to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. But the law was divided into three parts. First of all, you had the civil law. It was for how the nation of Israel was to conduct its affairs. The civil law. Israel was a theocracy. America is not a theocracy. The civil law that God gave Israel has no impact on how we are to live today. That has been done away with. We're not under that old covenant. There was the civil law. Secondly, there was the ceremonial law. These were the instructions about the endless sacrifices that the Israelites offered to temporarily atone for sin. The goats, the blood of goats and bulls could never wash away our sins. It was only a symbol. They went through these endless sacrifices. They went through these feasts and observance of special days, but they are no longer applicable to us today. How do I know that? Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new boon or a Sabbath day. These things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You know, sometimes you can see somebody coming by their shadow approaching, but when they come to you, Ultimately, do you interact with the shadow or with the person? Well, that's what Paul said. All of these sacrifices, these special days, diets, they simply were a shadow of the Christ who was yet to come. But now that Christ is here, we don't need the shadow. We worship the substance. That's what he's talking about here. There was the civil law, ceremonial law, but the third part of the law was the moral law. That is how we are to conduct our personal lives. And those laws are still operational today. How do I know it? Because the New Testament repeats those laws for personal behavior. Jesus alluded to or quoted all of the Ten Commandments with the exception of one. And Jesus came not to nullify the law. Get this. He didn't come to nullify the law. He came to amplify the moral law. Remember we saw that in the Sermon on the Mount? 
Jesus said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say to you, whoever looks on another person with lust has committed adultery in his heart. He was amplifying the meaning. Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not murder. I say to you, everyone who is angry toward his brother is guilty before the law. He amplified. And then he also clarified some of the moral law. And that specifically relates to the Ten Commandments. Jesus never repeated the commandment, keep the Sabbath, keep it holy, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy because the day was going to change under the New Testament. But as we'll see in a moment, the principle of work and worship still remains. When we talk about the law, we're talking about the moral law and the Ten Commandments is the summation of that moral law of God. Remember in Matthew 22, somebody asked Jesus, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? He said, here is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's a summary of the 10 commandments. The first four commandments deal with how do we love God with all of our hearts? The final six deal with how we're to love our neighbor as ourself. I think it's well past time for us to tap the Ten Commandments, not only up in our schoolrooms, but in our own hearts and minds, and to pass these rules onto our children and our grandchildren. Now, I'm gonna give you in these final few moments just a preview of coming attractions. Let's look at these Ten Commandments in about three minutes or less, okay? Write them down. Here's what we're gonna look at starting next week. The first command, the most foremost command, esteem God alone. You shall have no other gods before me. You may think, well, I don't worship other gods. Think again. An idol is anything we love or follow more than we love Jesus Christ. That's what an idol is. And the most foundational requirement for living is to have no other gods before the true God. The second command is worship God only. Verses four and five, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or on earth or beneath the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, some people, even some Christian groups combine these two, but they're not the same. The first command tells us whom we're to worship. The second command is how we're to worship the true God. It's possible to worship the correct God in an incorrect way. Many people think they're worshiping God when in fact they're worshiping only an image of God, an expression of God. And we're gonna talk about how that applies to us. Thirdly, revere God's name. Exodus 20 verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not leave unpunished those who take his name in vain. We all think of this in terms of don't curse and use God's name in a curse. That's one application, but it's not the only application. There are many ways we use God's name recklessly and needlessly, and we'll talk about that. The fourth command, value God's day. Remember the Sabbath, verse 8, and keep it holy. For in six days, verse 11, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And though the day has changed, the principle hasn't changed. We need one day a week to focus on worship and relaxation. The next command has to do with how we're to treat one another. Honor your parents. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the day which the Lord your God gives you. We know children are to obey their parents, but what about single adults who are no longer living at home? What about young adults who have their own families? How do they or should they still honor their parents? What if your parents are dead? Is it still possible to obey this command? We'll discuss all of that. The next command, preserve life. You shall not murder. A very specific word there. How does this command relate to self-defense, to war, to suicide, to abortion? There are many ramifications of this command. The next command, you shall not commit adultery. Keep marriage holy. We've all witnessed the attempt to expand the definition of marriage to include two men or two women. We know that's wrong. But you know what's interesting is even those who follow an unbiblical definition of marriage will agree with us that the greatest single threat to a marriage relationship, however you define it, is adultery, unfaithfulness. How do we avoid the trap of unfaithfulness in marriage? Next, respect the property of others. You shall not steal. You know, the right to personal property is enshrined in the Fifth Amendment of our Constitution, but it came long before that in God's Word. God is the one who expounded on the concept of personal property. And then, protect the reputation of others. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Have you noticed that with social media today, you can destroy somebody, you can obliterate their reputation in a nanosecond by a tweet, by a post. We're gonna talk about how that commandment applies today. And finally, control yourself and be content. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. You know, look at most any other sin Adultery, theft, murder, whatever the sin, at the root of it is a feeling of discontent with your present circumstance, wanting something more, wanting something different than what God has provided for you. And in this final message, we'll talk about how to develop that attitude of contentment. Why should we obey these 10 commandments? Why are they just as applicable today as they were 3,500 years ago? God himself gives the best reasons for obeying the commandment in verses one and two of Exodus 20. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. The first reason we're obligated to keep these commandments is because God is our Lord. I am the Lord your God. You see, the ruler gets to make the rules. We have an obligation to serve God. John Ortberg says it much more eloquently than I could. He said, the reality of this world is that I was born into somebody else's kingdom. 
Let those words sink in. I was born into somebody else's kingdom. My life came to me as a gift I didn't choose. It is suspended from a slender thread that I did not weave and cannot on my own sustain. That's why we obey the commands, because God said to. God is our Lord. Secondly, God said, obey me because God has set us free. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He said, Israelites, remember, the reason I freed you is not so you can go out and serve yourself. It's so that you can serve me and experience the blessing of doing so. And the same thing is true for us. That's the whole point of Romans 6, 7, and 8. Paul said, before you became a Christian, you were slaves to sin. Satan was your taskmaster, and he is a cruel taskmaster. But Christ paid the price to redeem you out of slavery, not so that you could serve yourself, but so that you could serve me and, and appreciate and enjoy the benefits of doing so. We all serve somebody. We're either going to serve Satan or we're going to serve God. And that's the choice before us. You know, we often talk about disobedience. We describe disobedience as breaking God's commandments. Have you heard that? People talk about breaking God's commandments. The truth is it's impossible to break God's commandments. God's commandments remain strong and firm. The psalmist said, thy word is established forever in heaven. You cannot break God's commands. You can only break yourself upon God's commands. Could I tell you what I see as a pastor? Every week, I see people, not only non-Christians, but Christians, who are experiencing the carnage of breaking themselves on God's commands. They experience unwanted divorces, unending regrets, unrealized dreams, all because they've chosen to say no to God's most basic commands in life. Which is it going to be for you? Are you going to experience God's blessing in your life or God's judgment in your life? Moses said it this way, the choice that is before every one of us in Deuteronomy 11, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but you turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today. On behalf of Dr. Robert Jeffress and everyone at First Baptist Dallas, thank you for joining us today. Our hope and prayer is that the biblical truth of this message will continue to be a blessing to you as you apply it to your life. For more information about First Baptist Dallas, we invite you to visit our website, firstdallas.org. May God bless you richly today.